we ask that you would bless the teaching of the word today, that you would enable us, Lord, to hear from you and to be edified by you. We open our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us today through the letter of Ephesians, in your mighty name, amen. So let's review what we've been looking at over the last five weeks in the book of Ephesians. We began in chapter one, which describes the blessing. Every blessing in Jesus Christ has been secured and delivered to all those who trust and believe in his name. And that blessing is not just touchy-feely, warm fuzzies. It is a powerful plan for building God's masterpiece. In chapter two, Paul advances his discussion with the Ephesians about what the blessing of God is for. And it's that they might be built together, that you and I would be built together into God's masterpiece, a glorious revelation of his will, an empowered army of his people, an enlightened kingdom of his children. This isn't a new idea. It's the very blueprint that God began from the beginning, that God knew from before the beginning. No house is made, at least not any house that is made well, without plans first. You don't start building the roof before you lay the foundation. But even before the foundation is laid, even before the, the, the land has been bought, the blueprint has often been made and it designs what will be built. In chapter three of Ephesians, Paul talked about how the mystery that has been revealed to us in Christ is the blueprint that God had from the beginning. And it's for a body that would be built on the cornerstone, the foundation of Christ, but built up to the capstone of Christ. That Jesus Christ, who is the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and end, is also the cornerstone and the chief capstone of this body, the head of this body, that by the Holy Spirit is being grown up to the full measure, the full stature, the fullness of Christ. And so today we're going to come to the basics of what it means to be the body built according to the blueprint of God and filled with all of his blessings. And the fundamental basic of God is love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said that all the law and all the prophets, in other words, all the scriptures are fulfilled by those basic commands commands that could be summarized in Paul's phrase from Ephesians 5, walk in love. Will you say that again with me? Walk in love. Walk in love. Hallelujah. Now there's one more chapter that we have yet to come to today or come to after today, because today we're going to be focusing on chapter five, but there is also then ultimately a battle. All of these things, the blessing, the building, the blueprint from the beginning, the body being built up to the end, and the basics of how that body proceeds are all part and parcel of being prepared to stand in the Lord, 
stand with one another in the spirit and withstand, having done all to stand firmly, fully armored in all the glorious armor of the Lord with the weaponry of God, which is the word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of joint and marrow so that we could have victory over the darkness, so that we could fulfill God's masterpiece and plan for this world. But that is yet to come. And I want to let you know that that's actually going to be a whole sermon series in itself. So today we are going to make a pivot. Today we are going to turn on a hinge, as I often like to say, if you will. And um, conclude the initial series, but prepare for a second series. You may remember, you may not, but I'm going to remind you right now, that when we were entering into this Ephesian series, in fact, even before I began it, I mentioned that we would take a sermon series that would lead us through the book of Ephesians, and then we would conclude that series with another series, which will be on chapter 6, and specifically on Ephesians 6, 10 through 20 which is a very familiar passage to many of us, a famous passage in, the, in the, the word of the Lord. It is about the full armor of God. And I think it's a, a passage that warrants an extended time of teaching and examination, much as we did last year when we were uh, in uh, Galatians 5 and we were looking at the fruit of the Spirit. So this year we are going to look at the armor of the Spirit in Ephesians 6. And that's a series that we're going to come to after Easter. But we're going to, as we um, walk through Ephesians 5 today, take a pause in Ephesians. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to turn our attention to Palm Sunday, to Good Friday, and to Easter Resurrection Day. But what you'll find, I hope, I trust, is that in those messages and in the uh, scriptures that we'll be looking at in that period, there's going to be an enriching of what we have gleaned from these prior series that we've been in, and especially the the whole message of the book of Ephesians, which is about building the body of Christ to be the people of of Christ and empowering the people of Christ to be a witness in the world. Listen, what could be more relevant right now than that? It's really essential for us as believers in Jesus Christ to walk out our faith right now. And like I said earlier, none of us has the blueprint for how to do that on our own because none of us could have even particularly anticipated the present moment that we're in. And as wild and, and, and difficult as the present moment is, it's, it's not the end of challenges. I don't want you to be discouraged by that. But I do want you to be called to be prepared. In fact, Ephesians 5 is, as we'll see, a wake-up call to the body. It's a wake-up call that says, you need to be prepared. You need to be prepared for a battle. Not against people and not against worldly weapons, but a battle in the Spirit that can be won only by the Spirit and yet is won by the Lord. And you and I are called to be participants in that victory and witnesses of it to the world. That's a message we need to carry to the world today. And how will they hear it unless we share it by the Spirit with the word of the Lord? But when we do, when we do those things, there's power. So Ephesians 5, then we'll enter into some 
uh, Easter time messages, and then we'll come back for a new series out of Ephesians 6 that looks at that passage of the scripture to conclude our study of that book, but also to launch us into um, getting armored in the Lord. Hallelujah. I'm excited about that. I hope you are too. So let's go back to uh, the teaching slides and press forward into today's study of uh, Ephesians 5. It's a little complicated for me because I have to uh, sort through various scripts. So thanks for bearing with me. For some reason, it's not allowing me to share my screen, and I don't know why. Let me see if I can... try here just a moment okay everybody sorry about that uh, just had some kind of technical funkiness there sometimes the site just doesn't seem to uh, want to allow me to do what I'm trying to do so sorry about that but here we go Ephesians chapter 5 walk in love. So, in order to walk in love, let's walk through the blessings. The blessings to God's people are that in faithfulness we find holiness, and the fullness of holiness is the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The promise of the Holy Spirit is not only that we are secured in the Lord, but also that we know there's so much about what Paul writes to the Ephesians in this letter that has to do with them recognizing, appreciating, realizing the fullness of their blessing, the largeness of their call, the greatness of God's equipping. That's really, I think, uh, an essential purpose of why Paul is writing. And one thing that you'll notice is that chapter from chapter in Ephesians, many of the same ideas keep being brought back. But as they're brought back, as they're circled through again and again, they're solidified, they're strengthened in the awareness of the people. Paul wants to be sure that the, the body of Christ, the believers in the Lord, are aware that they no longer walk and, and move in the region of darkness, in the uh, kind of confusion that typifies the world. We were dead in our sins, but we were brought to life in the Lord. We were isolated by sin, but we've been brought together by God. We, we did not have a promise of um, living eternity in sin, but now we have been built to last as we are. 
are built together as God's people. As we said, this was God's blueprint from the beginning. It's a mystery that has been made manifest. Therefore, it's important that you and I know it. It's important that you and I recognize it. It's important that, that you and I not be confused about what it is that God is desiring to do. Even though these things were not known in the past, they are known now. And that's vital. It, it's um, essential that you and I not walk in confusion about this, but rather that we would walk in the manifold majesty of God's messianic ministry. That means that his plan is known to us, his power is available to us, and his spirit is at work in us. This is how Paul says it in chapter 3. God's mystery has now been revealed by the spirit, and it's that you would be strengthened in your inner being through his spirit, and that you would give glory to God, who by his spirit is able to accomplish infinitely more than we've yet imagined. So this is the body that is being built, and it's being built for unity. We are to walk in a worthy manner, chapter 4 says, preserving the unity of the Spirit as we studied together last week. And part of our unity comes also in rejecting the futility of the crowd. That doesn't mean rejecting people of the world, but it does mean not living like them. We show love to the world, just like God, who so loved the world that he gave his only son so that the world could be saved. We also show love to the world. But Jesus didn't come to the world to save the world just so that the world could go on sinning, just so that the world could go on dying. How would that be salvation? He came so that the world could be saved and resurrected and walk in a new way, a way that is worthy a way that is light, not dark. So you and I, if we are to call people to that, we need to be people like that. We're called to maturity in the Christ, to lay aside our old ways, our old self, the anxiety, the selfishness, the fruitlessness, the anger, the fear, the, uh, the, the self-control, the manipulation, the deceit, the, the obscenity, the darkness, the dirtiness, lay aside all of that and put on the new self. As Paul wrote to the Corinthians, whoever is in Christ is a new creation. And a new creation walks in love. We are to walk as God's dearly loved children. Since God loved us, we are to love one another. Since God is light, we are to live in the light as his children, children of light. And we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is what walking in love looks like. If this isn't what our lives look like, our lives are not living out love. We're to walk in purity. Purity is love. We are to walk in clarity. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. God is truth and God is love. Therefore, clarity is truth and love. Finally, walk in unity, submitted to one another because we are all submitted to Christ, who is our head. Walk in purity, walk in clarity, walk in unity. How is it that walking in purity is walking in love? Well, as I said, Ephesians 5 is about 
back to basics. The basics of walking in love and living in Christ means following Christ. What would Jesus do, right? Jesus walks on a pathway of purity, and he calls all those who would follow him to walk on that pathway too. That means we reject sexual immorality, obscenity, greed, any and every other kind of impropriety. These are the very things that Paul talks about in Ephesians 5. Read along with me. Imitate God. Be like him in everything you do. After all, children look like their parents. Children learn from their parents. Children sound like their parents. So you too look and sound and live like your father in heaven. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us by offering himself as a sacrifice for us. And that pleased God. His life smelled good to God. Have you ever thought, does my life smell good to God? Is God happy with the way I'm living? He will be if you live ready to sacrifice yourself for others and to follow his example. So there are things that need to be excluded. They're off limits to us. We don't take up these kinds of actions. If we do, we acknowledge that they are sin and we repent. We confess, we ask for forgiveness, and we move away from sexual immorality, impurity, or greed. Obscene stories, foolish talk, coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, in place of that, fill yourself up with thankfulness to God. You can be sure that no immoral, impure, or greedy person will inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God. What is it that, uh, that, that Paul means by that? Is that to say that anyone who has ever engaged in any of those things is um, suddenly not in the Lord? No, it doesn't mean that at all. It means that those are not the ways that God lives. We have all lived like that before. And Paul mentions that elsewhere in his writings. All of us have faltered and failed in those things. So if that's in your history, if that's a struggle for you, don't feel discouraged by that, but don't hide that from the Lord. Confess that and acknowledge that and let the spirit of the Lord who has every blessing of righteousness from God enter into you to cleanse you from unrighteousness and fill you with holiness. But don't take it as, a, as an excuse also to just keep on living that way. Because what Paul is saying is anyone who keeps on living that way, anybody who says that is good, as he mentions to the Romans in his letter to them, anybody who calls bad good and encourages other people to live in those evil ways, that person is not a child of God and isn't wanting to be a child of God and will not receive the blessings of God. That's what Paul is, the point that Paul is making here. Don't be fooled by those who try to excuse these sins. For the anger of God will fall on all who disobey him. Don't participate in the things these people do. So we are to walk in purity. And we will walk in clarity. Once we were in darkness, this is what I was just saying, but now you're not just in the light, you are the light. Live as children of the light, for the fruit of light consists in goodness, righteousness, and truth. So walking in clarity is also a way of saying walking in love. 
Walking in love and clarity means walking by and in the Lord's light, shining his light into the darkness. Remember when Jesus said, you're the light of the world? So don't put that light under a bushel, put it on a lampstand. Don't hide it, let it shine. Walking in the clarity of God's love also means wake up to the light of a brand new day. If you're someone who has a window in your bedroom or where you sleep and uh, the light is part of what wakes you up in the morning, you know the reality of that blessing and of that uh, practicality, that walking in light means walking in awakeness, in alertness, and in the brightness of a new day. I want to talk here about how these concepts, um, brightness and light, righteousness and purity, and awakeness, alertness, and clarity, all connect with what Paul is ultimately saying, with what the Lord is saying to us about equipping, protection, covering, strength, assertion of God's righteousness over the works of darkness in our world. I know many of us are probably weary of hearing about COVID-19 now, but let me tell you that victory over that darkness, and it is a darkness, comes by living and walking in the light of God's love. And that victory is real. There is real protection. There is real provision. There is real power by walking in the light of the Lord. So let me share with you a few thoughts on some of these um, phrases and imagery that Paul uses. For Paul makes an equivalency in his writings in the New Testament between light and spirit. That is between the light of the Lord, our God who dwells in unapproachable light, that means righteous light, and the Holy Spirit of God, which is like light, something that you and I cannot touch, but nevertheless, the impact of which shines brightly in our world. There is fruit of light. Paul talks about that right here in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 9. But there's also fruit of the Spirit. And notice that the fruit is very much the same. Because in Galatians 5, 22 and onward, when Paul talks about the fruit of the Spirit, he also talks about love and righteousness and truthfulness. So the fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the light are the same. They are the fruitfulness of the vine of Jesus Christ, of the Lord. Paul talks about armor of light in Ephesians. There are translations that utilize that terminology here. And also in the next chapter, when he talks about being armored in the full armor of God, he talks about praying in the spirit. The weaponry of light. Paul utilizes that terminology in Romans chapter 13, verse 12, but also talks about how our weapons are not carnal, they're not worldly, but they are of the Holy Spirit in 2 Corinthians 10. So, light, Holy Spirit, righteousness, they all go together. This is so important that you get this. I really want you to grab hold of this, lay hold of this concept. Righteousness does not come from you. It's so important that you and I understand this right now, because when we read passages that say, don't walk in those old ways, don't go back to doing those old things, so many of us think, all right, I'm going to make myself live righteously. 
Good luck. You're going to fail. Well, does it mean then I don't care? And you just say it doesn't matter and then I won't live righteously. No, that's death. Well, then what are we to do? Isn't this what Paul said? The things that I know I'm supposed to do, I don't do them. The things I know I shouldn't do, I do them. Who will save me? God, the Holy Spirit, his righteousness will be provided to you in your weakness. His strength, which is righteousness, is perfected when you recognize your weakness. When you and I say, I want to live rightly, but I can't do it on my own. Help me, Lord. That's when the Lord floods our lives, fills our hearts, and strengthens our hands. He gives strength to the arms that are hanging down. A bruised reed he won't break, and a smoldering wick he won't put out. He'll come and strengthen you. He'll come and light you up. It'll be his righteousness at work in you. So you and I do need to make some decisions. We need to decide, I want that righteousness and I don't want unrighteousness. But we also need to recognize I'll never be able to fulfill that just by trying hard. I have to give myself over totally to God. And I have to fill myself with his spirit. I have to open myself to his spirit and open myself to his word. But in doing that, there's real power to be had. So the light, the spirit, and righteousness produce righteous, fruitful living in the daytime. This is another motif that Paul brings up again and again that we're going to look at closely in just a second here. That there's a difference between living at night and living in the day. Daytime is also not only the notion of brightness and clarity and purity versus the nighttime when dark things happen in the darkness, crime occurs, secrets, but there's also the notion that the day of the Lord is coming, that the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings, as Habakkuk says, and that that will also be a day when every secret thing will be revealed. And nothing that was hidden will remain hidden. The light of the Lord will shine into every nook and cranny. So if we're to be prepared for that day, Paul says, Jesus says, live in the light of that day now by the Spirit with righteous, fruitful living. And as you do so, you'll be protected. You'll be equipped in prayer and covered by the Spirit and empowered with the Word to not just stand your ground, but to take ground, to take background from the enemy, to conquer through the gates of hell, and to bring this light to those who are in darkness so that those who are in darkness can see a great light and be liberated from it and enter into the righteousness of the Lord. I just want to um, suggest that if you can, maybe take a screen grab here or later today, come and get these slides and look at these passages that all talk about this notion of God's armor of light and spirit, Ephesians 6, 1 Thessalonians 5, Hebrews 4, 12, that talks about the word of the Lord as a sword of the spirit and how our weapons are spiritual. They're supernatural. They are not meant to do harm to um, flesh and blood people, but they are able to bring victory against demonic oppression and spiritual opposition. 2 Corinthians 6, 2 Corinthians 10, Romans 13, all talk about this.
In fact, I want to take a look at you, with you at 1 Thessalonians 5 for a moment. Because this passage written to another early church by Paul is so very similar to what we're about to look at in the middle of Ephesians 5 here. Now, brothers and sisters, he's saying, about times and dates, we do not need to write to you. That means the day of the Lord. That is the return of, the, of Jesus. Why doesn't he need to write about that? Because A, you know it's coming, and B, Jesus said it's not for you to know the time, but Jesus said it'll be like a thief in the night. Do you hear that? Like a thief in the night. When in the night, the, the sun of righteousness will suddenly shine in the darkness of night. And like a thief who thinks, I can get in in the middle of the dark, being caught by the bright spotlight of, of the police, that will be the people of unrighteousness. Suddenly the light of the Lord will shine on them right where they are doing those things. Brothers and sisters, don't be caught like that. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you, Mangakapatid, are not in darkness so that this day would be a surprise to you like a thief. You are children of the light. You're children of the day. You don't belong to the night or the darkness. So don't be like that. Don't be asleep. Be awake. Don't be drunk. Be sober. Put on faith and love as a breastplate. That is armor of the spirit. That is armor of light. The hope of salvation as a helmet. These are the very kinds of terms that Paul is going to use also in Ephesians 6. God didn't appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we live together with him. What Paul is saying there is whether we're alive here on planet Earth now or whether we die before he comes back, even that doesn't matter. We're alive with him. So encourage one another and build each other up. And you know what that means? That means walk in love. Walk in love. Now compare what we've just read to this equivalent passage in Ephesians 5 that makes it clear that walking in love is walking in the light of God's clarity. Once you were full of darkness, now you have light from the Lord. The light within you produces good and right and truth. It enables you to see and know what pleases the Lord. In Romans 12, Paul puts it this way, don't be Conform to the world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can see and know and do the perfect will of God. Take no part in the worthless deeds of evil and darkness. Instead, expose them. If you're the light, you'll expose them simply by being you and living in the light. The light will shine from you and it will expose things of darkness and it will cast those things out. It's shameful even to talk about the things that ungodly people do in secret, but their evil intentions will be exposed when the light shines on them, for the light makes everything visible. This is why it is said, wake up call, awake, O sleeper, rise up from the dead, and Christ will give you light. There is something that, that Paul is doing here that's rather deep, um, but I think that you and I can get it and, and, and understand it as well. And what that is, is he's making a comparison between how we might live right now, like people of the world, and how we will live in times to come as people of the Lord. People of the world right now, they have biological life, but they're spiritually dead 
because they're not walking in the light and the life of the Lord. But they think they're alive, but they're walking in death. If you and I are walking and living that way, we also are living in a manner of death. But instead, we are supposed to live as people of, of eternity, as people of the light. And by doing that, we are going to bring the eternal life of God into resonance around us in the world today. So what this really is, is living for eternity now. Wake up now to the eternity that is to come. Paul is apparently quoting a poem or a hymn here. And in it, there's this same kind of connection between righteous wisdom and resurrection from death, from waking from sleep to the rising sun, morning light. This is something that it doesn't begin with Paul, but he's really drawing from the Hebrew scriptures. Isaiah 26, those who die in the Lord will live, they'll rise again. Even though they're sleeping in the earth, that's like Jesus in the tomb, they will rise again like Jesus on Easter morning. You and I will rise to life-giving light in the dawn of the Lord. Isaiah 51 talks about people living in the world now and walking in unrighteousness. God says, if you would be people who would pursue righteousness, wake up because you've been drinking from the cup of his wrath. You're drunk in the ways of sin. Wake up and get sober in the spirit. Isaiah 52, wake up, wake up, O Zion. Clothe yourself in light. Armor yourself in the Lord. Put on the beautiful clothes of righteousness because unclean and godless people aren't going to enter into the kingdom. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord rises. Malachi 4, the son of righteousness rises with healing in his wings. And the New Testament makes it clear that it's Jesus who is this son of righteousness. Jesus, who is the light of the world. Jesus, who is the bright and morning star. Jesus, who is the dawning of the day of the Lord. So here in Ephesians, Paul is reiterating a line of thinking that he has advanced elsewhere, such as in Romans 13, when he says, all of the commandments are summed up in this, love your neighbor as yourself. That's the fulfillment of the law, the basic fundament of God. Do this understanding the present time. You and I, in this moment, we should look around and recognize that things in this world can get bad very quickly, very broadly. Wake up, because our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. The night is almost over. The day is almost here. So it's time to put aside the deeds of nighttime and darkness and put on the armor of the light of day, behaving decently, living righteously, walking in love, which means walking in purity, walking in love, which means walking in clarity. We know that this is uh, probably a song that they sung, or at least a hymn that was, or a poem that was familiar. These words, sleeper and dead, in the Greek actually rhyme, and the concluding word in Greek is Christ. So this means that this was intended to be something easy for them to remember, something that would be lodged in their memory. Every day they'd be thinking, it's, it's wake-up time. It's, it's the wake-up call of the Lord. Live and walk in the light. And the emphasis lands on the foundation of Christ. So, he says in Ephesians, be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but live like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. 
my brothers and sisters, dearly beloved friends, make the most of this hour. Make the most of this time. Don't live in the frenzy and fear and chaos and disruption and confusion of the world all around you. You cannot extricate yourself from the world, neither can I, but you don't have to let the world be in you. Instead, let the light of the Lord be in you and let that light shine out into the world and make the most of this day because there are opportunities right now to reach the lost, to heal the sick, to declare the truth, to liberate the captive, and to praise the Lord and to live in his love and in his life. Make the most and understand what the Lord wants you to do. It's not going to be any excuse when people come before the Lord to say, well, I didn't, I didn't see what you were trying to do. I didn't understand because God will say, I was shining brightly. I was reaching broadly. I came to you but you didn't want to know because you preferred to be in the dark. You didn't want to be sober because you preferred to be drunk. Don't be drunk with wine, be filled with the spirit. Sing songs and hymns and spiritual psalms. Make music to the Lord in your heart and give thanks. Today is a day to give thanks. We still give thanks to the Lord of the harvest and we show our love to him by showing our love to one another. Walking in love means walking in unity, ordering our interpersonal relationships to reflect the heart of Christ, mutual submission, not one person lording it over another, but in our different relationships, showing mutual love, mutual respect, mutual submission. At the core of human relationships is the marriage between a man and a woman. That's the first relationship among humans that God initiated. And every other relationship among humans comes out of it because men and women in marriage give birth to sons and daughters, brothers and sisters. They give birth to future husbands and wives, grandchildren and great-grandchildren. And so the tree of humanity is born out of the marriage that God created, a marriage which mysteriously and magnificently reflects the marriage of God with humanity and ultimately the oneness of Jesus and his church. So I'm going to um, not uh, read all of the concluding passage here. I'm gonna invite you to look at the remaining verses of Ephesians 5 uh, in your study of the word this week. But see how what is begun here and will be continued, and we'll talk more about these relations when we come to the preaching on Ephesians 6. But see how the first relationship that is described is going to create a pattern for the rest, which is husbands and wives have unique callings, but a mutual call to submission and love that is to reflect the love of Jesus for his church. We are to walk in purity. We are to walk in clarity. We are to walk in unity, submitting to one another out of reverence for the Lord. In this book of Ephesians, in this chapter, as we've seen today, there is this emphasis not only on not walking in worldly ways, but on not getting drunk. It's interesting that Paul makes this comparison between being drunk with wine and being filled with the Spirit. And I mention this because you and I are about to do something as we come to the conclusion of our time here, which is we're going to partake of the table of the Lord together. I'm going to ask if Hazel would bring 
our elements here. If you have your cup and your bread there, bring them before you. If you don't have anything that you can use right now, just make this a time of prayer and, and listening. But thank you. Um, later today or this week, get those uh, elements if you can and partake of it. There is something about the physicality of having this bread, of having this cup, or whatever cup you have it in. It doesn't have to be one of these little cute plastic dealy bobs. Put it in your coffee mug. Put it in your juice glass. Put it in a wine goblet. Put it in your mouth. Put it in your soul. But there's something about the physicality of this that's important. And that's why we're doing it together. And it's why I am asking that this would be part of our regular service during this time when we can't be physically present with each other we can have the physical presence of the lord to connect us and this physical presence of the lord repeatedly in scripture is revealed as having a healing capacity that's not just wishful thinking that's not just symbol there's real physical healing in the covenant of christ so we partake of this for spiritual connection and for physical equipping and strengthening. But this cup of the covenant, Jesus poured in wine. Jesus called himself the vine. We're the branches. Why do people drink liquor? There's a variety of reasons. One is to connect with people they like. It's social drinking, right? It's a party. It's a festive way of people connecting, or at least that's the mentality that usually goes into it. Or to escape. I need a relief. I'm tense. I'm worn out. I'm stressed. I want to find an escape. Or it's a trap. There's literally physical addiction. I don't mean to turn this into a treatise about drinking, but I want to say that part of what Paul and the scriptures are saying here is, you and I are spiritual beings. We were made to be. And in the absence of the Lord, we will look for other things to fill us. But nothing can fill us the way the Lord does. And the enemy, the spiritual opponent of our soul, will use any of those other things in our lives to lay hold of us and to trap us. And he will do the opposite of what the Spirit of the Lord does. He doesn't love. He hates. He doesn't produce purity. He drags us down into carnality and death. He does not create clarity. He darkens our minds. He darkens our vision. And he does not unify us. He divides us. Maybe you have been turning to something that you shouldn't in this time. Maybe it's drink. Maybe it's something else. Maybe you have a prescription from your doctor that wasn't really intended for this, but you're using it to just medicate yourself a little. Maybe it was intended for it, but you realize that somewhere, somehow, something's got a hold of you. You're not con in control anymore. You're not taking the pills. The pills are taking you. Maybe it's something else entirely. Maybe it's your addiction to social media. Maybe it's your desperate need to find out all the latest information on COVID-19 so that you can make sure that you protect yourself in every way. But what you don't recognize is you're being driven by a frenzy of the world rather than filled by the fruitfulness of the Spirit. I'm not saying turn a blind eye to valuable information. I'm saying first be filled by the clarity and the purity of the Lord and be unified with Him 
and with each other in the Spirit. You and I can't do that on our own, but we can give ourselves over to Christ. Come and gather around me, family. Take our bread, and you there where you are. Take your bread. On the night when he was to be betrayed, a night when he was facing the hardest, the worst experience that any human being had ever had to face, Jesus said, this bread is my body for you. Remember how Ephesians 5 began. Walk in love by following Christ. And the model of Christ is that he gave himself as a sacrifice for us. This is that sacrifice. This is his body. You are his body. And you and I receive of his body now together as we partake of this bread. A new covenant that Jesus gave was really the original blueprint of God. Love. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this to give their life for their friends. So serve one another in mutual submission. As you serve the Lord, we love because he first loved us. And this cup of the blood of Christ is the proof of that love. And it's also the medicine of God that would fill us with the Spirit. If you are weary and you need an escape, God doesn't offer an escape from reality. He offers the freedom of truth. God doesn't make you drunk with confusion, but he will enlighten you with love and clarity. And there will be a relief He'll take your burden off of you and give you his light and easy yoke and fill you with his spirit. Lord, we receive of your blood now and ask that you would cleanse us of all our sin and that you would fill us with all your spirit. Hallelujah and amen. You have received of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ. I want to say to any guests or friends that may be streaming with us today or watching this recording and you don't know the Lord and you wonder, is it right for me to partake of those elements? It is right. It's the Lord's table and he invites everyone. But if you are to partake of them, partake righteously. And all that means is this, that you recognize that you are not holy on your own any more than I'm holy on my own. You and I are alike. We are sinners who are in need of a Savior. And we have one in Jesus Christ. When you put your trust in him, he puts himself in you. Lord, I pray that anyone who needs to come to you today for the first time or as a point of recommitment would receive your confidence, your courage, your love, your righteousness, your holiness, your embrace today.
And Lord, I pray for all the beloved that are gathered. Each of us wounded and equipped in and by your spirit to walk out the life of love to which you have called us in your mighty name. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us. And uh, we will continue to try and make every improvement we can to secure the technical end of these things. But thank you for being patient with that. And remember that on Wednesday evening, 7 p.m., we'll have our Zoom uh, prayer meeting. So go on the website to find out about that. And every night at 7 p.m., 1900 hours, we have our COVID-1900 prayer. Carry on victorious in destiny, not in the darkness, but in the light. And tonight, our focus will be on government leaders. We're going to be praying for our president and national leaders all over the world, for our governor and governors of all the states and regional areas, for our city and county leaders, and for leaders across the globe. So join us in prayer. If you want more details on that, visit uh, the Facebook page, uh, the website, and so forth, and, and we'll have that for you. 7 p.m. tonight, praying in your home. 7 p.m. Wednesday, praying together via Zoom. 10 a.m. next Sunday, being together right here uh, on our website. God bless you. We love you. See you soon.